0: Welcome to the Kill the Lion Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. We got a great one for you today. We got Mark Cavino here, awesome filmmaker. He made a, a band called Death. He made another documentary called The Crest. He's, he's a great dude. I've known him for years. Uh, he used to do my podcast back in the day and now we're, we're doing a podcast again. We haven't podcasted in many years. I'm going to keep saying the word podcast, podcast, podcast. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we always love talking to each other. And this is another one of those great conversations. If you like the show, by the way, please support us. Killthelionfilms.com. $2 per month. It keeps the show afloat. It keeps the studio afloat. We make movies too. You know that as well. If you like the show, if you like our movies, support us. And here is Mark Covino. Mark, good to talk to you. Hey, long time. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we've done we've done quite a many podcasts uh, in the past in the olden days, but not for a very long time. Yeah, when
1: when was the last time we did one? I, I and mean, they were always together, weren't they? Or...
0: yeah, I think we were in person for all of them. I think that was probably around 2016, 2015. So it's been it's been quite. An amount of time since we last podcasted.
1: <laughs> a lot has happened
0: in the world since then. I'd say so. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I think a lot <laughs> has happened. Yeah. in In that amount of time, how you been? I've been good. I mean, Hollywood hasn't been good. <laughs> no. I've I've been good. I've been great. And the the kind of movies I make, I'm I'm happy because it's just me dicking around. Yeah. But Hollywood has been hurting, and I feel like. You and I have kind of had our finger on the pulse of like, this was going to happen eventually. Hollywood was going to take a big hit. I think you were feeling that too, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it it really dates back to when my film A Band Called Death was bought by Drafthouse Films. And they told me they were going to do it. I guess it's called a day and date. Where they released my film in a the theater and on VOD at the same time, and this, you know this is 2012. This was years before I got into the whole VOD thing. You know, watching movies online. I was all about physical media. I still am, but it just seems so crazy to me that they would put our film online and in theaters at the same time. I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it now, but. uh but it also just kind of you know, it triggered in the back of my head that well, this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> you know, who's going to want to go to theaters when theaters are costing you a fortune in tickets and food when you could just stay home and watch the damn movie? And that that was the first time it really kind of hit me that uh, this this is definitely the beginning of the end for theaters. And that's not to say that they're going away forever. They're always going to be there, I think. But you know, <laughs> it's going to be more of a niche thing, I think now.
0: Yeah, I think uh, theaters will always be around in some small form. I think the idea of a blockbuster is going to be more defined as like an online release. I think that's just how it's going to be. And and you mentioned about your film, A Band Called Death, being released streaming and in theaters. It's crazy to think they've, they've kind of known it was going to go this route for a very long time. And I noticed they... They let your your DVD of that movie and the Blu-ray of that movie. That's been out of print for quite a while. Yeah, they have not put that back into production, which is insane because it's a very popular movie. It's one of those movies you want to own and pass around, and they just you know when when Draft House Films kind of went under as a uh, as a physical entity as well as a uh, distribution. Um, I think now they're they're neon or whatever. I can't even keep track.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they basically kind of morphed into neon and took all of the team over there. There's there's one person left at Draft House who's he's kind of just keeping an eye on the things that they still have the rights to until the you know the the deals are done. Uh, our film actually comes back to us. I think either this year, or next year, and then we have to find a new home for it. But yeah, I, the DVDs they stopped producing pretty much around the time that Neon got created because there was they were done with Draft House uh films division by that point. So it's it's a bummer. I was really hoping that they were going to grow and and I guess they are still growing because they're Neon now, but still it's, you know. <laughs> I thought it was cool that the brand was connected to the theater chain, you know.
0: Right. So is that something important to you for like, you know, when you find a new home for a band called death, do you want to make sure it gets a nice physical release again?
1: I would love to have a, a physical release. I, I'm I'm a physical media nut so much so that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll collect movies, the same movie from different countries because other countries have different features that aren't on the, you know, the discs in America. And so like for a band called death because of that, <laughs> I uh, I would send different deleted scenes to Japan and different deleted scenes to Australia and, you know, and, and other special features like specific only to those territories so that if there wasn't a Band Called Death fan out there like me who likes to collect physical media, he's probably going to buy like all the discs. You know, he's got a region free player or something, you know, probably like nobody in the world is doing that. But <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's uh it reminds me with like albums where like there'll be certain bonus tracks for certain territories, which is infuriating but also just like intoxicating as a fan of certain bands, you just want to hunt for uh the extra stuff. Now you, I remember like you having a bit of like a hunt for like certain editions of Deep Throat. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm always down to talk about that. Please please tell the pursuit of a very specific <laughs> version of Deep Throat that you were hunting and, and the steps along the way that you had to take. So it really comes down to the score. I'm a huge
1: fan of the original score for the entire movie. And at a, at a very early age, I was able to, you know, watch a VHS from probably the 80s, that had the original early score contained in it i didn't know anything about the history of that score or or the making of the movie until college when i did a whole paper my thesis paper actually i think was on deep throat um (laughs) it's a great paper but it was in that paper that i discovered that obviously like we know now that the film was financed by the mafia and a lot of people worked in that film and went under aliases um you know, might be part of the reason how we ended up coming up with porn star names like Linda Lovelace and Harry Reams, to be honest. But uh, one of the things that was always anonymous in the film was the score. And uh, that was because whoever did the score didn't want to be associated with the film. Now, one can imagine that uh, the Mafia, um, even though the film didn't cost that much, I I think it was like $20,000 or something, but they they probably dropped some coin on on some good music. It was the seventies, music was hot. Things like Easy Rider had come out and everything It made soundtracks really awesome. So I mean the score to Deep Throat is a great score. It's it's like an album that you wanna just sit down and, and, and listen to it. It's fun, it's funny.
0: Yeah. Very, very funny songs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Some of them are even a parody on popular song or uh, popular like things like jingles, like Coca-Cola had a jingle back then. Like I I wish you would have another Coke or something, and they did like a a spin on that, which was probably about sucking somebody off. (laughs) Um, But um, for me, like I was the I was the biggest fan of the opening credit music, which is this. It's done on like a keyboard, like an organ, and it's very cute and playful, and and it's just it's very catchy. And it always stuck with me uh, so much so that when I did a, a short film in college, I even used it for the opening credits. I just sped it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, so after watching that VHS, I was like, well, I got to get the DVD of this. you know, I, I got to upgrade." <laughs> and I ordered the DVD from Arrow. It was like a special edition. Arrow, not the Arrow that exists today. There's two Arrow companies for distribution. There's the original porn distribution company Arrow. And then there's
0: the new one <laughs>
1: that does like genre films.
0: Yeah, like Donnie Darko and whatnot. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So I I ordered this like awesome special edition that, you know, I I think, I don't know if I had deleted scenes, but I had like an intro with some famous porn star talking about the history of the film and everything. And I got excited to get into it. And as soon as I press play, the opening credit music was completely different. It was like generic porn music. <laughs> And it boy did it, it piss me off. And then there's like maybe two other tracks in the film. For some reason, only these th- like two to three tracks were taken out of the film, and new music was put in. And um, and I don't understand why. Like the other music is obviously from the same band. It's at least it sounds like it.
0: So did you did you eventually find a good version that had the original music, or did you have to kind of cobble something together? Or
1: well, I I th- so Germany released uh a newer limited edition on Blu-ray, which has been completely remastered. And I ordered that. It, it literally took a year to get to my house. But uh, it finally got here. It's a great case. It's this big yellow case with the poster on I love the poster, too. I love everything about the movie. <laughs> but the transfer is amazing. But same di- same deal. The opening credit music and the other two songs are completely different. They're the generic porn music. Um, so it was a bummer you know I, I paid seventy bucks for that <laughs> waited a year to get it thinking I was, the one thing I do get out of it is is the best uh transfer of that film i 've ever seen it 's crystal clear it 's beautiful um and it also has the full opening, which had a little it had a little disclaimer at the opening i can 't even remember what it said it was something funny but but i I figured well, obviously the original music was only in uh whatever releases came out in the eighties and below. So I had the VHS that one time. I don't have it anymore. I don't even know what happened to it. So I figured, you know, if it was on VHS, it's got to be on Laserdisc. So I I went on eBay where I go for all this weird shit. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, it was on eBay. And um, I placed a bid, ordered it. was excited until the person wrote me back that I bought it from and said that, Oh, they can't find it. <laughs> and it's like, oh fuck! Like this might have been my last shot at getting this. Well, not last shot, but you know, I've been trying for years to get the original version of this movie, and uh, and then like a week went by, and and that person wrote me back and were like, oh, I found it. It was under a stack of books. <laughs> so so they they sent it, and um and sure enough, um it had the original music. So. And it, and it's a Laserdisc, which I happen to think that Laserdisc has pretty awesome audio. So my plan currently is to take the Blu-ray, take the footage from the Blu-ray and take the audio from the Laserdisc and, and combine the two and make like the ultimate like full version of the movie that I guess only I would have.
0: That would be incredible. <laughs>
1: yeah. Look, these are the
0: things we go through, you know
1: exactly as 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 film lovers it is cinema i don't care what anybody says you know yeah it's got porn in it but it's it's a cinematic movie it's a really fun movie to watch and uh and i hate that um really we can't watch it as it was intended anymore which sucks
0: yeah what's great is that uh you know Companies like Vinegar Syndrome have definitely been resurrecting a lot of yeah. those old porn titles and giving them proper transfers and a little bit of love. And mm-hmm. you know, there, there's this great song in—I um, don't know if you've seen "Sweet Young Foxes." No, um, that's a that's a great one that Vinegar Syndrome put out. That's a one from maybe like '83, '82. And it's got this great title track song of Sweet Young Foxes. It's so catchy. You could hear it on the radio. It's not like it's got like dirty lyrics or anything. Like it's it's like a banger. Like it's a it's a bona fide, catchy pop song. Yeah. And it's just this title opening track to essentially a triple X movie. Yeah. And man, it's just like I I think people don't necessarily realize a lot of the time how much work you know, went into a lot of these, these classics, like it was the same amount of work as if you were making, you know, a quote unquote legitimate movie, if not more.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, re- remember up and coming, that was like one of the biggest budget. It had Linda, no, not Linda, Love. it had Marilyn Chambers in it. And it was like a couple million dollars <laughs> like budget mm-hmm. with like aerial shots and stuff. They really did put in the effort up until somewhere in the, in the mid i mean you know boogie nights is such a perfect example of, of the history of it
0: yeah and i wonder how many people would really know about that if not for boogie nights kind of drilling it into people's heads true
1: true my you know my whole obsession with with uh classic you know golden age porn came from my own father being in one of them <laughs> well i i think i talked about this on the previous podcast but my, you know
0: I mean it's 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 so old that the kids these days that listen to my podcast now aren't going to dig it up. You know, they'll have to get out their eight-track player just to hear the old yeah. podcast episodes, but I I love to hear the story. It's it's a great story. Please share it again. Give it give it some new <laughs> life on this newfangled podcast of mine.
1: Yeah, sure, definitely. I mean, I remember it was at, it was at the dinner table my dad brought it up in front of people. I don't even know why he brought it up. I was in high school at the time. And uh, maybe I mentioned Marilyn Chambers or something. And uh, maybe somebody had told me about her or something. But uh, my dad was like, I was in a... Oh, no, I remember. Uh, my- I was into horror films. And my dad was like, oh, I I was in... Uh- and he said Wes Craven, but he really met Sean S. Cunningham. But ironically, they both worked on this movie, by the way. But he's like, I was in uh, Wes Craven's first movie, Mark. And I was like, what? <laughs> like what's craven <laughs> like you didn't tell me this growing up like you know I I was a child of the 80s like Freddy Krueger and uh and Jason were my boys and uh they were my childhood heroes <laughs> these fucking serial killers and uh and so he just told me, he's like, yeah, I was, I was walking on the beach with my wife at the time. It was uh, in Connecticut, maybe. Or maybe it was Jones Beach. I can't remember. But uh, he's like, we saw a film crew off in the distance. And we just were standing and staring. And and at the time, my dad was like very, I mean, he until the day he died, he was always a bodybuilder. So he's a very muscular dude, very good looking guy. Mm-hmm. And, and his wife's have always been pretty. <laughs> and one of the crew members you know, I just saw my dad and his wife standing there staring and they ran over to them. And it was Sean S Cunningham, who my dad kept calling Wes Craven. <laughs> and, uh, and Sean S Cunningham, uh, my dad thought, you know, oh, this guy's coming over to, you know, see if my wife wants to be in the scene because there's tons of pretty ladies in the scene. And the guy went right up to my dad and was like, your body's amazing. <laughs> like, do, do you mind like, it's just being in one little scene, you don't even need to act really. You just be yourself. we you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, you're going to sit around in a circle. We're going to give you a, a an actress who's going to play your wife, and and a psycho- psychologist is going to ask you questions about your sex life, and you just have to, you know, answer truthfully. <laughs> and my dad like, "Oh, okay, I guess." <laughs> and so, so they did that, and they gave him this very pretty woman who you know has her top off in all of the scenes. And, and, um, in the scene is my dad sitting around with a bunch of the other couples and there's a psychologist asking everybody about their sex life. My my dad has always been very religious and, and, and conservative and, you know, he likes the ladies and that's probably why he did this, but, but, um, he definitely wasn't one to talk about his sex life out in the open too much. And the shrink finally got to my dad and he asked my dad, uh, he's like, so Frank, what do you think about oral sex? <laughs> my dad he just choked up he didn't know what to say because he was so shocked that somebody would even ask him that in front of other people and he just goes well uh, that's a really hard thing to say (laughs) it's like without even realizing how funny that
0: sounds (laughs) yeah it's just a perfect line yeah you could stay up all night and not craft something that perfect
1: yeah exactly (laughs) so that's it's a great line and um And many years later, after he told me about that, I I got obsessed with it. I started collecting tons of memorabilia from that movie. The movie was called Together. It was directed by Sean S. Cunningham. It was the first feature that Marilyn Chambers was in just before Behind the Green Door. So it was literally like the movie before that. There wasn't really hardcore sex in this one. It was more softcore um, and it was done like a documentary. But obviously, like all the sex stuff was fake. I mean, not fake, but, you know, it was planned. <laughs> it wasn't like a documentary where they're filming live things. And, you know, Sean and, and Wes Craven and their team made it because that was how you got a movie made <laughs> at that time. They figured, you know, like people like sex. Sex is big. Let's make a feature that's all about sex. And, um, and we, you know, they were doing documentaries up until that point. So why not make it a documentary? And that way people won't question why there's a boner in this scene or, or why this girl is completely naked doing backflips.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a great way to get a, get around it for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and, and that of course, you know, led to them realizing, well, horrors is, is actually pretty hot. And so they went from that to horror, but, but my dad said, you know, Sean was such a nice guy. This, you know, Sean is Cunningham. And my dad kept calling Wes, <laughs> um, was such a nice guy. Um, and, and was a good director. He said. Not that my dad would even know. But he also said Marilyn Chambers was super nice and kind and, and there's a couple of scenes where she's just hanging out behind my dad. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I later tracked down the film. The only copy I could find was in Germany on VHS. <laughs> and uh, so it's all dubbed in German. My dad's dubbed in German with his line. <laughs> but it's great that I'm able to actually see him on film in that movie and that it has that, it has that connection to icons of mine you know, idols of mine. Um, I think it's so cool. (laughs) That's the, uh, that's the, my dad introducing me to the world of porn. And then (laughs) it was shortly after that, that, um, it might've even been the movie Dick, which was a shitty comedy that came out in the (laughs) nineties.
0: I remember that one. Yeah.
1: You know, Richard Nixon, Dick. Um, and there's this whole joke throughout the movie about deep throat, obviously. Uh, but they were confusing the, the, uh, source Deep Throat with the porno Deep Throat and I think that might be where I discovered the movie Deep Throat I think it's so weird because when I discovered all this stuff about the golden age of porn and how porn films got started and everything it was at the tail end of my obsession with horror so I went from horror to porn (laughs) and 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 both have kind of just been my favorites of genre I guess ever since.
0: Yeah, there's so much to discover. I feel like, I, you know, horror, there, there's so much horror. Like, let's be honest, yeah. there's 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 more than enough for a lifetime to to dig up, not even counting the new stuff that comes out. And it, it just feels good, like as a filmmaker to stumble on a great idea, you know, that that was had maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes a hundred years ago and you get really excited because you feel that kind of kinship where you're like oh man nobody noticed this amazing aspect of this yeah. kind of forgotten whatever it's a great it's a great uh way to discover and, and basically just resurrect so that other people can have their own discoveries as well because a lot of these movies nobody is going to stumble on unless you stumble on it yourself yeah like me and me and Chloe, we we were watching this one, this porn from Vinegar Syndrome the other night, which was called uh, "The Erotic Adventures of Candy" or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a it, it's the one that that stars uh, Thora Birch's mom.
1: Oh yeah, she was in deep throat.
0: Yeah, she's she's awesome. She's got a great vibe in the in the Candy one we watched. And there's moments of that movie that feel straight out of like an early Todd Solondz film. Yeah. It has this weird energy that um, you you watch like a certain movie like you know a Todd Solins movie for instance and you know if you're just casually watching movies as just a casual watcher of movies, you sometimes think that something originated with that person and as is the case with all arts, it's a constant dialogue. It's a constant thing where everybody just kind of picks up random things along the way. And for all I know, he could have seen that movie and been a little bit inspired by the vibe. It's, not, it's yeah. not unheard of for great artists of any genre to just chance hear something or chance see something. And it just gets under your skin and, and becomes something you can draw from, for sure.
1: I mean, look at Paul Thomas Anderson, how much he's, he's taken from that whole industry, <laughs>
0: Oh, absolutely,
1: um, and, and and he's created amazing art from that. Um, I, I'm still blown away. I was thinking the other day, I'm still blown away that Boogie Nights even got made and financed by a Hollywood studio.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so crazy to think about. Um, it certainly would have been wouldn't have been done today, and probably wouldn't have been done right before when it hit. You know, it was this it was this moment in time, this wormhole that opened that that allowed it to be to be made, for sure. Now, with your own films, do you feel like, you know, something like A Band Called Death, would that have been more difficult to make today? Would, like, was there a sweet spot? Because that movie really hit and was part of the the zeitgeist of the time. That That's a movie a lot of people have seen, and even if they haven't seen it, they're familiar with the movie and know that it's it's supposed to be a good documentary. It just has that yeah. um, associated with it. Did that feel like that kind of where like that was this perfect moment for that
1: it was um you know with everything from the people that i was around and uh the gear that i had at the time although i guess you could say things have gotten smaller (laughs) since then in terms of gear but uh but definitely like that one camera i used the hvx 200 was like a one-man band with great audio and great visual that i could control by myself so i could be a one-man crew which allowed for more you know kind of personal uh connection with with the guys um
0: that's a camera that like you don't really see used too much right now but i i've noticed that um skateboarders love that camera so yeah. skateboarders will still use that to this day and will like fetishize that and other other like small 3ccd type cameras because they're just yeah. really good for shooting skateboard stuff
1: i guess i guess the big thing is these days um we we probably would have had more trouble i mean I may, by these days i mean just past couple of years if we didn't shoot it in 4k and we didn't we shot it in 720 back then and and even that was an issue um they were hoping that they we had to up res it to 2k i guess uh at the end of the day um
0: no one would ever know i mean it's such a stupid dividing line
1: yeah, I I talked to Alex Winter about it once and um, because I was like, you know, everyone keeps telling me, man, uh, fucking Netflix is only taking things that are shot in 4K and blah, blah, blah. And you're know, like, what if I only am able to shoot in 1080 or if I have footage in 1080? And, and Alex is like, don't worry about it. He's like, if, if it's good enough, if the film's good enough and they want it, they'll take it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, have you heard the thing about uh that movie Life of Pi? The, uh, do you remember that movie, the Ang Lee movie? I do. Um, that was 1080p.
1: Oh, it was? Oh, wow. And it was
0: shown in theaters. And it was this secret experiment that they did to see if they could get away with it. Interesting. And they did. Nobody complained. You know, there was not uproar in the streets. It was a 1080p movie.
1: I mean, I I constantly keep telling, you know, young people trying to make movies or saying that they want to make movies. I keep telling them, like, you could literally make a movie with an old VHS camera from the 80s if your script is good enough. (laughs) Just spend the time on the story don't worry about how it looks and and if all you have is a vhs camera write you know write something that kind of connects with that you know atmosphere
0: yeah the, and there's also there's that first wave of uh camcorders which you know you can get a certain color and a certain light that you can't get with later stuff like yeah. the tube the ones with actual tubes in there you know the like the early like they were called like they were just called like um video cameras because they didn't have they weren't camcorders because they didn't have a recorder mm-hmm. built into it you kind of had to output to something but nowadays you can get like a you know a digital kind of recorder box that you can just output straight to from one of these old video cameras and you get this kind of like color and light that like if you watch old episodes of like Doctor Who from the 80s or if you watch yeah. you know TV shows like soap or whatever from like late 70s early 80s there's a certain color and a certain haziness that's really attractive and those are those are cameras that are three tubes but if you get even just like a one tube thing you can output it better than they ever could back in the day and you can get a certain look that nobody else can get because cameras do not have tubes in them anymore and haven't for a very long time so Whenever people talk about their limitations, it's like, man, every limitation is a opportunity for doing something different and doing something that yeah. other people are gonna be like, oh man, I gotta do that now. And it's like, <laughs> well, you you did it for 20 bucks with some camera nobody wanted, now suddenly that camera's gonna be like, selling for like 500 or 1000 because it's the cool thing. It's like, just create the new cool thing, you know? limitation always creates something new and cool it's like with with Jack white with playing you know silvertone uh guitars or what or I forget the name it something like that but like Sears guitars basically he would take crappy Sears guitars that nobody liked except for him and now of course yeah you know repros of that are like thousands of dollars it's it's insane so it's like you know, use that limitation. Use that 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 kind of crate digging mentality to find something that you can do that that's genuinely yeah, unique.
1: It's actually it's actually been a a dream of mine to make a documentary about something based in the '70s or '80s and use a video camera from back then, like a an old ENG camera or something.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I I go on eBay all the time and I'll just like stare at like you know old you know, equipment and just be like, man, like, I don't want to spend $3,000 on like some new 4k, uh, you know, <laughs> camera. Like I want to, I want to spend like $3,000 on an old Ikigami, like <laughs> yeah camera and like all that. Like that's way more interesting and cool to me.
1: I love the old video cameras where, uh, every time the camera's moving, And a light kind of like ghosts on camera, like if it passes by a light. Yeah, that's the tube
0: effect that I've I've been talking about. You only get that effect when the camera has tubes in them.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. I think that looks amazing. Oh, it's the
0: best. (laughs) And you can't do it digitally. I've, I've looked around for like, oh man, somebody must have like a filter that like mimics this there's VHS filters, there's every kind of filter, and like nope, nobody cares, nobody can do it 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 would be really hard to do it in like after effects to any believability. You really just have to use those old uh cameras.
1: I'm so judgmental when I watch any Hollywood movie that is trying to emulate old video from the eighties or seventies and it never looks like it never looks right unless the filmmaker puts in the effort. To actually use those cameras, and I've probably only seen that a couple of times here and there, but
0: it's pretty rare. Um, they did it pretty well on, I think, that movie Computer Chess, which wasn't I, like I didn't really care about the movie, but I appreciated that they shot it on like those yeah. old cameras and whatnot. But um, it's so rare, and you see like fake VHS filter all the time. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's
1: just like so cheesy.
0: <laughs> it's so stupid. Like you you'll see you'll see them do shit where they'll like. They'll do that and then they'll put like newer titles that don't conform to it, like over it. And then it's like you have this weird sandwich of like the VHS filter and then like stuff that doesn't look like that stuck on top of it as though it's all part of the same thing. Like boneheaded mistakes that just like yeah. big Hollywood productions will do that just looks so stupid. It It's very circular in that like the less you have to work with, sometimes the better you a chance you have of doing something authentic that like yeah you know bigger productions just cannot think to do because the solution really is just get an old camera and run it through it or whatever in,
1: in a band called death they had some reenactment footage to film and i i knew i wanted it to look like you know super eight millimeter footage you know from a camera that they could have had back in the 70s when they were practicing And i also knew that no matter what digital effects we try for like HD footage, it's just going to look like imitation super eight. It's got to be film. And the cool thing these days is film is fucking cheap. (laughs) So I, uh, I went to my local camera store that was in town and they actually had a super eight to rent and the cartridges were like 10 bucks a piece, I think maybe even less. (laughs) And I just went out for a day with like maybe six cartridges and I just filmed the guys dressed as the death. I, I filmed the sons of death dressed as their father and uncle and, 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 uh, and just filmed them all over town with just that camera,
0: you know? Yeah. God bless you for doing it real, man. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like eight, like super eight has kind of had a a resurgence like i've noticed like on youtube there'll be music videos that are shot on super eight and like kids in the comments being like how'd you do that effect and whatever <laughs> and it's like it's just no you just do it you yeah. actually do the thing and it then you don't have to don't have to worry about it looking right it'll just look how it looks
1: I, I've, I've been around so many filmmakers like trying to think about how you know oh man i I got this one scene. It's got to look like it was shot on the news in the 1980s. And, you know, he's like thinking about all these plugins and everything and After Effects. I'm just like, dude, just track down the fucking camera that they used back then. (laughs) You've gone through all this trouble.
0: Yeah, it's and you can also like take like the lenses off of these old cameras. Like if you Mm -hmm. if you have like. I mean, there's an adapter for everything. Let's let's be honest. Like, there's yeah. <laughs> there's very rarely will you encounter a lens that you can't stick onto to a DSLR or whatever in some capacity with some adapter. And with 3D printing, you could make your own if you if you if you find some oddball one that you can't find an adapter for. Theoretically, it can exist. Yeah. But you know, if, if for some reason you need to use your HD camera or whatever, like it's it's very doable to take one of these old b4 or b3 lenses from these old cameras which the the lenses are insane it's like you know f1.2 and it's like a zoom from like 9.5 millimeter to like 300 mil like it's insane yeah so you can take these things stick them on your newfangled you know super modern camera and and get footage that like people can't even wrap their head around because you you do these incredible like zooms like out of like a Wes Anderson kind of like long zoom thing and people don't know how you did it because you know if you were to buy a new lens that can do that it would cost you an absolute fortune meanwhile these these old lenses ripped off of these old cameras you could get for like three hundred dollars easy
1: yeah actually for a band called death even though we use the h v x two hundred which is a it's a set lens you know it's just a zoom lens that's attached to the camera we used a red rock micro and some old Nikon lenses like still camera lenses that I bought on eBay I got an entire prime kit for like fifty bucks <laughs> and uh and we had and and I like those old nikons because the old lenses back in the seventies they had this nice golden hue to them yeah. And, and that's kind of how we achieve that with A Band Called Death.
0: That's kind of my secret too, man, is, you know, I'll I'll take old, I, I mostly just use old Nikkor lenses from like 75, 80. My, my go-to lens is a 28 millimeter F2.8 AIS Nikkor that I used for ramekin and mute date and, and whatever else. And that's just, people will ask like how, how to shoot something that I shot. And it's like, the lens, first of all, will tell you how to use it, you know, mm-hmm. just by looking through it and seeing like, all right, well, this gives me a little bit of distortion if I do this type of shot or, you know, I don't I don't really get the focus I want with that that type of shot. It it guides you as you use it towards its sweet spot. And then once you find its sweet spot and you're properly white balanced or whatever and you're in focus, like there you go. You get a movie that looks like a Cody Clark movie if you use that same equipment I'm uh, my style is just me arriving at what my lens is good at and what my camera is good at yeah totally so let's talk uh, we, we've been talking about band called death but let's talk about another one of your films which might have a similar uh, out of print fate it seems like I don't know mm. what the latest news is in regards to that but you made a great film called the Crest also a documentary I love both of your movies I I, I think I think they're both incredible. Uh, documentaries very different but also very much the same in that they're about family and about uh togetherness in that regard they they're just kind of warm movies where can people best see the crest it's it's a surfing movie it's a movie about family i don't want to give too much away to the uninitiated but where where's the best place for them right now to watch that like if they're going to watch it tonight let's say
1: um i i believe it's pretty much on a lot of the VOD platforms minus Hulu and Netflix currently. It's on Amazon for
0: VOD. It's on Pluto, uh Tubi. Tubi I love, by the way. Um, a lot of people love Tubi. I haven't spent too much time on it yet, but like yeah. general consensus is like that's like the unsung best one.
1: It seems like Tubi decided that they're gonna take all of like the the really out there genre you know, like grindhouse type movies <laughs> like uh and then you know they have like all of the full moon entertainment they have just about every movie that you would ever see on usa up all night back in the day nice um and you know it has commercials but it's not that bad and i i think i discovered if you watch tubi on your laptop you don't have any commercials if you turn off uh ads on your computer or something because i every time i watch a movie on my laptop i don't see any commercials um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, it's on Amazon, but, uh, there used to be physical, uh, media version of it on Amazon, but I don't think it's going to be on there anymore with what Amazon is doing because, uh, Gravitas who distributed our film, they didn't produce the discs. They did it through Amazon the way any independent filmmaker releasing their own film would. So,
0: right. A lot of these, like that's, that's the topic we're discussing for sure, because a lot of these distribute distributors a lot there's like a misconception that like all right i i made some tiny indie truly independent film or whatever just by myself with my friends and you know i'm going to find some distributor and they're going to put out like copies of my movie whereas like a lot of these places you know some still do but a lot of them were just using amazon's media on demand service so they would buy up your movie for X amount of years or whatever, and they would just do essentially what you could have done on your laptop yourself, which is just make an account and do your own made-on-demand printing. But now Amazon, I mean, I'm pissed because it means all my movies are suddenly going to go out of print in June. Yeah. Um. But a lot of these, you know distributors it's the same thing like like these movies are just going to disappear no matter what deal you had with them they're you know it's over yeah
1: yeah it's a real bummer i was actually just talking to my producer uh, from the crest today about all of this and you know should we approach gravitas i I assume now and see you know if they're willing to give us the physical media rights back because if they're not going to produce any physical media because that was the only way they were you know, why not just give it back to us and like let us do it? <laughs>
0: just yeah, they better yeah. I sell, mean, come on, sell some discs on our own. I mean, it's not like we're making anything, so it's just great that it exists. Like you, yeah. you just kind of always want that physical copy there because you never know what happens with like streaming or whatever else. It's just it's you want to hold something for,
1: and I. I was never satisfied with the release for the crest just because it's it's bare bones and I like I like special features. (laughs) And my executive producer has actually just paid me to to cut a bunch of deleted scenes of family members that didn't make the cut. So I have tons of content to throw on a special edition now. It's just a matter of like, well, if I do that, like, let's get the rights back so we could sell it and make money off of it.
0: Yeah, so ideally you get the rights back for Band Called Death, you get the rights back for Crest, and we've got these like super duper like box set, like giant, like (laughs) overblown packages where you've got like a Blu-ray, a DVD, a a CD, the soundtrack, like all this craziness. It
1: was a good (laughs) thing that I saved those deleted scenes that I didn't put in America for, you know, that I gave to all the other countries. It's a good thing I didn't do that because now when we do a new release, it's going to have more footage than what was on the last one yeah um so i I guess that was a good call on my part even though the original plan was kind of stupid
0: (laughs) so i want to ask you about you know making documentaries you know you've you made two in the last i don't know how many years 10 15 years or so it's a very slow process but it seems like it's exacerbated by the hollywood system as far as getting stuff made Mm -hmm. what's been your experience i mean because you're somebody you you, if it were up to you you'd be making movies all the time i feel like yeah oh totally yeah (laughs) so what what do you think slows it down because a lot of people that listen to this show are making their own stuff or want to and you know they might have these ideas about you know the studio system is like the legitimate way to go or whatever what's been your experience as far as trying to get stuff made that way
1: the past, uh, I guess, since The Panticle of Death was re- released, but I've learned a lot about the business end of of the film business, I guess. And um, it's really discouraging when you, you see where it's gone and where it's going. And it, they really like, um, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker who makes films for Hollywood. Like that's always been the dream <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, I wanted to make films for Hollywood, but we're also like films that kind of, you know, push things like Boogie Nights or like Fight Club. You know, <laughs> um, those days are, are long gone. Like, I don't think we're going to see content coming out of Hollywood anymore like that. It's all going to be comic books or, you know, big budget spectacles, you know, whatever movie they let Christopher L- Nolan make.
0: Yeah, it doesn't... It, I mean, maybe the Safety brothers can squeeze a couple out, you yeah, know, like more. that's a good example. But like, other than that, I mean, even got, even great guys like Sean Baker or whatever. Yeah. Like, they, they have a really hard time getting stuff out, too.
1: It, it's really sad how much they just don't care out there. I, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the film, but uh, my current film... That I've been on for four years trying to find money for. It's been impossible. I spent this past year pitching every major studio all over the world, like every major studio in Hollywood and Europe. And um, and everybody said no. <laughs> and it, it became pretty obvious that these gatekeepers, they have their own internal projects and that's all they care about. And they they have their own homies and that's all they care about. The you know, the Safety brothers are a good point of how there's great artists being able to like figure out the system and get in there. But, um, but they're also, you know, lucky enough to, you know, they made that first film that really convinced a two four to just be like, yeah, we're going to finance every single one of your movies. <laughs> there aren't that many people outside of them that they're going to do that for. Like they, yeah, only... there
0: just aren't that many seats at the table like, other exactly. than the ones that have been filled for that's for the, ages. That's by the suits, problem.
1: Yeah. And, um, and even me with like a bank of death and, and having, you know, the help of Scott Mosher as my producer on that. And, and you know, like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just, it really doesn't. You really have to have deep, deep, deep rooted connections to these people to to have them open the door for you. And and it's less about quality, I found out, and less about the story, which is just very, I mean, I guess we always knew this, but uh, I don't know. It, it's the, this past year was crushing for me because, uh, we had a project that I think was uh, given. What's going on in the world? Very uh, contemporary <laughs> in a way, and it's an important story, and it's it's based on a very popular icon whose story hasn't been told. And and it's just like it just seemed like no matter what we said, no matter how good our pitch kit was, and our pitch kit was amazing. We we actually put years into the pitch kit, like two to three years, getting it to where it is. It just didn't matter. You could tell in their voices that, you know, let's just get this phone call over with so that
0: we can get back to the five people we're working with nonstop every year. (laughs) Right. And this is, I mean, this is a project that, you know, the people of the world would be clamoring to see, I feel, you know, this is, I mean, I, I won't, I kind of know what you're talking about and know the project i'm not going to reveal it you can't reveal it but yeah, yeah this is this is a film that tells a story that needs to be told about about a very important figure you know in the world in entertainment that
1: and um i also i, I talked to i won't say his name but i talked to a very famous person who makes documentaries as well and um i was just like this is happening to me like it, i don't you're like, is this normal? And he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I, I went at it for five years and every single studio said no. And this is a guy who's a famous actor slash director. <laughs> um, every studio said no to him to his project that seemed like a sure thing to me if I was running a studio like, yeah, I would finance that for this amount of money. That's nothing for us. And he ended up having to just find private equity uh, at the end of the day to make it. But that allowed him to make it actually his Film as opposed to their film, like he he had a lot more creative control that way. Uh, that's where I think I am with this film. I think the only way to make it is through private equity, but there's there's a whole bunch of other dramatic issues <laughs> with this current film. But yeah, it's just it's very discouraging to see, and 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 it is inspiring um, to see people who are able to just keep making films and and not care about getting their film picked up by one of these places or getting their film financed by one of these places. But the kind of films that I constantly want to make just require a lot of money. (laughs) It sucks. Yeah. It really does suck. Um, you know, I could just go back to the band called death days and just grab my camera and go out there and do it all on my own. But boy, was that a struggle for five years to get that
0: film done. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a genre that, Takes such a long time, yeah. More more time than people realize because they spend ninety minutes with it, and you spent four or five years with it. Exactly,
1: and 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 those four or five years don't have to be that long if you have a budget, you know. Right, like, like if you're able to pay people to to do the thousand different jobs you got to do from you know archive to shooting to sound to you know just meeting people and talking to them and learning things and then going on like a private investigator and like digging in and all of that could be done very quickly with a budget and with many people hired and getting paid to do it you know that poor guy that made a uh, act of killing spent nine years on that film and and people see it now and they don't think about that <laughs> it's just like wow
0: yeah nobody nobody really thinks about it it's it's kind of beautiful because you want them to have an experience divorced of all that you went through. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, then they expect, all right, then tomorrow I could, I should be able to watch another couple of films by him as well. And they don't understand, you know, the craziness of the, of the studio process and all that. Yeah. And just the, I mean, there's just so much bloat with, with Hollywood and like the amount of money that, you would really need to do what you want to do with your next projects. I mean, it, we're not talking about you're trying to make like Avatar or something. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're, we're talking about like a shaving of a shaving of a shaving of like, a, as far as like a budget of what you're looking for.
1: I think a major factor in, in why it sucks now <laughs> is because of the oversaturation of what's out there. With these studios, they're thinking... I don't need to finance this film you know, there's like a hundred kids behind this kid that made these other films. We could just pick these up for a couple of pennies, uh, which is what they're doing. They're picking these films up for pennies. I mean, you know, not to get into numbers, but you know, the crest and a bank of death weren't bought for a lot of money, you know, considering what went into them. Um, and it's getting worse. A friend of mine, you know, just sold his film recently for 1200 bucks and the company owns it for 10 years <laughs> oh man but, you know that's what they're paying and some of them are asking them you know some of these distribution companies are just being like just give me your film for free you know you want exposure and we'll give it to you <laughs> but then you know what comes with that is they just take your film and they put it in with a bunch of like 400 other films and then they sell that bundle to all these vod platforms for a set price and you know you're barely making anything then because your film's getting you know, swallowed with 400 other films and they don't put any effort into dish, into a uh, marketing and PNR or advertising. They don't do that at all for any indie people anymore. That's all on you. Uh, the only things, the only films that they ever promote now are films with movie stars in them or films that are like very popular in the se- festival. circuit, like a film that won Sundance per se, you know? Um, but outside of that, it's, it's all on you. You really, you got to hire your own pr team or at least do a grassroots effort and that's not easy
0: so being the, being that it's all on you you know what would you tell kids that are just getting into making their first films cuz i always say you know make it yourself make it you know with whatever resources you have do do the best thing you can do as far as like your resources so like if you live in the suburbs shoot something in the suburbs don't shoot yeah. some like gritty like you know, urban thing that like you have to like you know bend over backwards to find places to shoot. Like, use your free production values that you have around you. Like, you know, I just today this is a perfect example. I was walking down my block, and I've I've shot a bunch of movies in my house, but I'm walking down my block, and there's a movie shoot going on in a brownstone, much like the one that I live in, mm-hmm. um, just down the block. So you have you know all the you know, grip stuff, all the the craft services out front of all that, and they're paying they're paying like six figures to shoot in any of these brownstones. I know because I, you know, I I have friends that have had movies or or episodes of TV shows shot in their house or whatever in this neighborhood. So it's it's an insane amount of money that. If I were to pay to shoot in a brownstone, yeah, I would be paying that amount of money, mm-hmm. but it's free for me because it's where I live. So if yeah. you put a value to where you live or your surroundings and you kind of add it up, you realize, holy crap, I'm not making like a $500 movie. I'm making like a movie for a lot of money if I add up all my free production values. Mm-hmm. And like walking walking by this production, by the way, it it was it was really sad because it's one of those things where like, you know, right in front of the brownstone, it's all these like craft service tables or whatever. And it's, you know, Gatorade and Dorito bags and all this stuff. And they had this guy like guarding the craft services, just a guy in a suit that's just paid to stand there like all day long guarding the craft services so god forbid like a hungry person walks by you know grabs a gatorade or something like Uh, this guy is getting paid x amount a day just to stand there and make sure that nobody steals like a dollar gatorade or a dollar dorito bag or whatever yeah and it's just like that's so gross to me and i I th- that's the kind of making movies that I never want to be a part of you know I don't I don't want to be a part of something that feels like that. I want to be part of something that feels closer to what I did when I was just starting out, which is just yeah. me and a camcorder and my friends dicking around and figuring it out and I would say that you know kids starting out you're you're closer to doing a great thing than you realize you know it's it's just Knowing how to use a camera, knowing how to record sound well—these things you can pick up and learn. And then it's just about your surroundings. So let's say, let's say, a kid wants to make a documentary. Let's mm-hmm. say somebody looks up to Mark. What, what's your advice for somebody trying to do a documentary on their own, or or what they should stay away from, what they should what they should focus on? I would say, run! <laughs> don't do it! <laughs> don't do it! <laughs> no. So just don't even make a documentary. That's the jaded part of me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Well, you, I mean, you like, you like smaller, you know, smaller documentaries too. I mean, you, you know, there's, there's great ones like that. I mean, after the four
1: years of the current film and being put through the ringer with just about everything that I could get thrown at me, I, I yearn for those days of just making a film with my friends. Uh, I hate this working with a bigger budget shit it sucks it's so soul sucking and it's sucking all the creativity and passion out of me um uh luckily i i got this new project that kind of fell on my lap which is helping reinvigorate things but but um but it's like a short film type thing but still it's uh yeah i would i would say a lot of what you said um you know your best camera's in your pocket fucking iphone (laughs) yeah these these things are insane I i know like and I've heard all of the Q and A's and everything, and, and and I've been on you know this clubhouse a lot lately, listening to kids be like, yeah, you know, filmmakers always say just use your iPhone, but you know what's his name, Sean Baker, you know, he also had like you know this amount of money and this much crew and this and that, and like yeah, 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 but still, you know, use yeah, an iPhone. I, I, they're
0: so <laughs> spoiled, man. I mean, I I shot Attack of the Giant Blurry Finger on an iPhone six. Yeah, you know, you you can do it. That movie, like. I I get people that are telling me like, oh, that's your best looking movie. Yeah. And it's like, it's because it's how you use it, man. It's it's what you get out of what you're using, you know? And if you have a good enough
1: story, like I said, it's really hard to, as long as your story is good, you know, and, and your actors are doing, you know, what's needed to suit that story. I think it's really hard to lose. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, just keeping the audience engaged, you know. And you're right about the location thing. I So lately I've been really down and um, I've been thinking about how much I don't want to make films anymore <laughs> uh, just because of what I've been through with this thing. And, and a lot of that, again, is because I haven't been making films. I've just been dealing with the business side of things and that's a nightmare and that's not making films to me. Uh, but I've been dreaming lately about writing a screenplay and I haven't written in years, but. I really either I write it or I get someone else to write, it, but I really want to make a film based in Vermont um, because it's a location that Hollywood can't touch. They can't afford to the film there. And and they've only been there a handful of times and the films they shot there have been super iconic, you know, like Beetlejuice or the Triple with Harry mm. or, or what lies beneath, you know,
0: even, um, but, uh, Trouble with Harry is a gorgeous-looking movie, by the very, way.
1: Very beautiful film.
0: Oh my God, the the Technicolor on that movie is insane. Exactly,
1: and um, and you know, Vermont looks like a backdrop. It just the because there's zoning rules out there; they don't have billboard signs. You know, power lines are underground most of the time, most places. I mean, and and the and the scenery, like in the fall time with foliage, and the houses are from the 1800s, so you could do a period piece. Like so many possibilities up there. And I've just been yearning to just like come up with something to just be like, fuck Georgia. Fuck my plans with this film. I don't think this film will happen. I'm just going to go back to Vermont and just make a narrative because narrative is what I want to make anyway. Um, So that's that's been in the back of my head a lot lately. Um, And I and I know people up there. My friend has the only G&E company up there practically. So I have enough equipment, you know. I have the cameras and the lights, and he's willing to like let me use it for free. And I have friends up there who are willing to work on it for little to nothing, you know.
0: Well, I want to see it. I want. I want to see that you know homegrown narrative movie out of you. I think that's it- it's going to reinvigorate you. It's going to just feel good to just be out there in Vermont doing something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I need to. I need to do something to see if I still have that spark to want to create because again, four years of sitting on my ass and just pushing hard every single day, like with phone calls and research and it
0: hasn't been fun. (laughs) Yeah. It'll beat down, you know, the best of us. It'll beat down anybody. It's It's a process designed to just drive you nuts and make you accept something. That's a really stupid deal or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of what they're going for.
1: Yeah. I honestly feel like it's built so that it weeds out anybody who's weak, <laughs> you know,
0: but also anyone who's strong,
1: anyone who's strong too. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> they constantly keep like you, I, I had this theory that even after you get your film made and you get it released, like they still punish you. They're punishing you for making art. <laughs> yes. And, uh, And it sucks. It's such a shitty feeling. And I guess it's always been this way, maybe like in terms of the artist always getting, you know, my dad was a portrait artist and, you know, he didn't live a particularly easy life (laughs) selling his artwork. I mean, he he made money here and there. But, you know, towards the end, less and less people were commissioning portraits from him because they just didn't care um, about, you know, classical portraiture and stuff. So, you know, I mean, look at the look at musicians the shit that they have to go through these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very hard time for a lot of artists. I think there's some hope for for filmmakers because I feel like the Hollywood machine is grinding to a halt eventually. It's yeah. it's a system that's that really only had, you know, it it had a job to do for about 100 years mm-hmm. and then after that it's like, well, then let's see what happens when, you know, the floodgates are truly open, you know. YouTube was kind of a, a a glimpse into that, but I feel like we're just starting to see, yeah, what the world can really do when when film is democratized and anybody's making movies. I
1: mean, I I remember teaching film. I taught at a film college in Vermont for a year or two, and uh, I asked my film, I think it was film production two. I asked my film two students, you know, what kind of films do you want to make? You know, what inspires you? And almost all of them said YouTube videos.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's all, it it's, mattered. uh, <laughs> it's understandable. Like, I mean, like, I get the, like, a lot of stuff on YouTube is just like, for lack of a better term, content. You know, there's, it's just like, it, it fills time. It's people opening up toys or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's whatever. But, you know, luckily there's, there's people that, you know breakthrough on YouTube my my friend Joel Haver has been doing incredible stuff on YouTube and mm-hmm. has been he's he's close to a million followers now and he's just he's a guy like me or you who's just you know making good quality you know shorts and stuff where it's like he he's he's a pure artist yeah. and he's he's doing well on that platform despite the platform so mm-hmm. You know, people that come across this stuff, they're so glad to come across it because it shines through. Yeah,
1: I'm actually a big fan of YouTube now. I wasn't back
0: then. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it it comes and goes. I was I was really sour on YouTube for a while, and seeing seeing the success of him and a couple other guys that are doing just like like honest to God art um it it's it's very inspiring i just threw four of my films up on youtube for free yeah for people to watch because i don't care anymore fuck amazon they're, they're they're screwing me you know so hard with this physical media thing that like i don't want them to make any money off of my stuff if my stuff is on amazon great but i want them to make as little as possible off of it and i'm i'm fine with people watching my movies for free now That that's where i'm at with it right now
1: yeah my my buddy uh Andrew Bowser, uh, who's kind of popular for being associated with Nerdist but uh, before he started working for them, he made this movie called Warm, W O R M. And um, the whole movie is black and white and it's a a, a body mount camera facing his, like, medium shot of his face and shoulders. And the whole film is that. And, And it's one of the most engaging films I've ever seen. That's like, that, and it, and it was one of the first I've seen like that. I haven't seen many like that. Like hardcore Henry is, I guess one of the cameras always on the guy, but this was facing him the entire time. And so like you're hearing things happen and then you kind of get glimpses of things as he turns around and a really intense film that is quick and to the point. It's like 80 minutes. And I swear to God, this to me was like revolutionary when I saw it uh, because there's only one cut in the whole movie everything else is like one continuous take. So two long continuous takes and the cuts when he jumps into a river, <laughs> you know? like literally he jumps into a river cause he's, he's the director, but he's also playing the main character. Um, and, um, it's so good. And I tried so hard with all the connections I made from a band called death to sell it to people, but nobody cared about it. And, uh, and I tried, but, you know, I assumed he finally got distribution somewhere or maybe even through the Nerdist. But yeah, a couple of years later, he just threw it on YouTube. <laughs> it's just, you know, like no one's going to buy it and no one's going to release it. So fuck it. <laughs> like I want people to see it.
0: Yeah. And you never know who who's going to see that and then be inspired to make something else. that's, that's groundbreaking and cool. Like I, I've been really happy to see, you know, the few comments I've gotten so far because I don't think people realize my stuff's you know, on there for free yet, but like the people that have checked it out, it's a different audience than the people that would check it out on Amazon. It's more of a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, homegrown people that want to do the kind of thing I'm doing audience where they, they check out my stuff and they're, they're really interested in what I'm doing. So it's, it's reaching a, uh, a different audience for sure. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard the other episodes yet, but we always close out the show with a little, uh, Uh, segment I call stupid questions, where I just come up with the stupidest questions I could possibly ask you. And that's just kind of our segue out of here. So uh, if you if you are down to answer some stupid questions, I will definitely give you some stupid questions.
1: I've been asked nothing but stupid questions my entire life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my first stupid question. Okay. Now, let me, let me preface this. This is a, I know these questions are stupid. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I, I'm asking them because I know they're stupid, but they, <laughs> they serve a purpose too. So my first stupid question will be, Hey man, do you know, there's like another band called death, right? <laughs> you know, there's like two bands called death, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: that's a a question that's a question
0: did you know that did you know that there's another band called (laughs) death I
1: did yeah there's a death metal band and uh yeah we kind of butted heads briefly when our (laughs) film came out (laughs) that's a great stupid question by the way that's that's a stupid question that I I, I asked our producers when we were making the film when they were trying the they were trying to name our film a band called death because I didn't like that name at first (laughs) I was like, you guys do realize there's another band called Death out there. <laughs> so.
0: If I was the if I was the metal band, I would have done a documentary called like another band called Death.
1: Oh, that would have been awesome. That would have been uh, great, and I yeah. would have hired
0: you to do it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I'm kind of. I, I think they did make one. They made a doc, and I'm kind of pissed that they didn't ask me.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: but I thought that would
0: have been funny. <laughs> so that's a, that's the first stupid question. Uh, second stupid question. Okay, so like. When you made the Crest, did you have to like buy the rights to like the the word Crest because it's like like was that okay that you could use Crest because that's like a, uh, you know, a product, it's like a company?
1: Yeah, we um we had many business meetings with the uh, toothpaste company and and uh we agreed that as long as uh we show one shot of somebody brushing their teeth in the movie, we're good. So
0: <laughs> See, that's good to know for the filmmakers out there, you know, if you want to call your movie crest that's that's the kind of thing you have to deal with people learn things on this show yeah (laughs) those are great yeah stupid questions i told you (laughs) all right so mark it's been great talking to you again uh i i love you buddy and uh i hope everybody listening at home checks out uh your movies if they haven't seen them already the crest a band called death these are great movies. He's a great guy. And uh, where where can people find you on the internet if they want to like you know harangue you with more stupid questions or if they want to reach out to you and let let you know how much they like your stuff? Wh- what's the best way to reach you?
1: Um, well, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm double checking my uh, my name on Twitter because <laughs> it's been a while. It's a uh, uh, at Mark Covino. So M A R K C O V I N O. I'm also on Instagram which I believe is at M Covino. So just my first initial and then Covino. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm on the clubhouse if anybody's on there. Um, I've been having fun on there lately. But uh.
0: I, keep forgetting to, I keep forgetting to sign up. I have a couple invites from people and I just always forget to sign up. But I hear people are, are having really good discussions on there related to film.
1: Yeah. I, and, and other things too. I, um, I've been in a couple of, you know, health and wellness, uh, discussion rooms and I was in a great discussion room on cancel culture. And what I love about clubhouse is, uh, it seems to weed out all of the, uh, the trolls or most of the trolls. Um, like nobody's like yelling at another person. Like they're all just having a very serious in-depth conversation and, and, coming to an understanding of both sides by the end of the conversation it's really awesome that's
0: great to hear that's a that's what you want out of uh yeah you know so if something new is going to come out you don't want it to be the same old bullshit social media angry mob kind of stuff you want something that's that's a little bit better yeah
1: i i really do enjoy it um there you can fall down a rabbit hole for sure and that's dangerous i mean (laughs) you know there's some chat rooms that you could just sit there and veg out listening to for hours and hours. But, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of great conversations going on a lot of amazing guests like Shane Black and and Tony K and, uh, you know, David Spade was on the other night. <laughs> David Spade was on for the first time. He started with like a couple hundred followers and within 10 minutes he had over a thousand and like 1,500. <laughs> Nice, um but you know, like outside of them, it's just like a huge community of like-minded people. You know, or not even like-minded people, but just people that are just looking to have conversations about anything from you know health to filmmaking to you know riding a boat. You know, there's a there's a chat room, literally. You know, there's an alien chat room I was in last night. A bunch of people talking about being abducted by aliens, which. They're, ser- they're serious man and and you know hey I'm not saying I don't believe them but it's very entertaining to listen to
0: <laughs> yeah that sound, that sounds like a lot of fun so I, I'm definitely gonna have to finally click my invite and and get on there and check it out all right mark great talking to you as always thank you for being on the show and uh, hope to talk to you again soon
1: thanks man thanks thanks for having me come back this,
0: this was fun. Thank you all for listening, and uh, as always, please support the show. $2 per month, KillTheLionFilms.com. You're supporting not just the show, but the studio as well. You keep us making movies. You keep us making podcasts with your support. See you soon.